Osiris. Our entire industry tries to pit women against each other. This idea that there's a very limited amount of interest for any woman artist. And that was part of what I wanted to show in an inviting, inclusive, come with us way. These are the nice things we can have when you let us in. <laughs> Don't be scared. You're not going to lose anything. It's going to enrich everything, I promise. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Hey everybody, welcome to season three of Salute the Songbird. It's finally here, and I'm so excited to kick it off with my first guest, Allison Russell, who just had a huge night at the Grammys. She was nominated for Best American Roots Performance and Best American Roots Song for her song Nightflyer off of her album Outside Child, which was also nominated for Best Americana Album. She is such a bright light. I got to meet her first at Newport Folk Fest last summer where she was a performer and curating the historically famous Sunday night set. And her guest of honor was the one and only Shaka Khan. It was quite a moment to witness. And we just had a great time together performing at the Beacon Theater for Love Rocks NYC, benefiting God's Love We Deliver, where she and I were both performers. She's just a great spirit. We discussed getting through the pandemic. We talk about her daughter, Ida, and all the inspiration that she brings to her work. It was a time of creative rebirth for her in releasing Outside Child. How she got through the pandemic, how it affected her work and childcare. I asked her what it was like to release Outside Child during such a tumultuous time. She talks about her work as empathy work and the power of words and the harm of misinformation. She wrote to help grapple with the trauma of the pandemic and her album Outside Child chronicles a lot of her childhood trauma as well. So I do want people to take care as we discuss some topics of sexual abuse and child abuse. She talks about the hidden canon that her grandmother taught her. So let's begin season three with the one and only Allison Russell. I love talking to other women who are mothers because it all feels so insurmountable to me right now, not being a mother yet myself, but you watch people like you who are having like a creative rebirth in your own artistry and also just able to like seemingly gracefully balance it all. I mean, I know in us just planning to jump on this call today, it was you have a seven-year-old to bring to school and you have yeah. 
like your time yeah. in your home that's quiet to nurture your own yeah. peace of mind and creativity. Yeah. And it's just kind of amazing. I see it and it makes me feel like it's possible. It's definitely possible. And you don't have to be a mom to sort of manufacture that for yourself either. You can kind of trick yourself, be like, okay, right. these are the hours of the day where I actually just focus on my art, you know, mm-hmm. nothing. I, I turn off the phone, I hide the computer, you know, and I just, unless you use it as a writing tool, you know, right, yeah. focus on your art, you know. But I do think that Ida forced us to especially when I look back on the early days of the pandemic and we were all, you know, we had just been through the tornado and then it was the lockdown and it was like, okay, it's two weeks. Oh, it's a month. Oh, it's, I mean, I was just, we were reminiscing about that, going back to that, that time of uncertainty. And when we all kept hoping it's, it's just this little thing that's going to blow over, you know, when of course it wasn't. And that, you know, there, there was definitely that period of despair and, kind of, you know, watching all of the work go away and wondering what are we going to do? You know, like, honestly, what are we going to (laughs) do? But she forced us, you're right, that having Ida, we didn't have the luxury of kind of letting ourselves wallow in that even for a second because she needed us, you know, and she needed to have some kind of structure. We had to learn how to be homeschool teachers. Right. We suck, by the way. <laughs> so shout out to all the teachers who are heroic. They are doing heroic work in this time. And, you know, they're continuing to do heroic work because some of them are on like hybrid sort of virtual and in person and they're doing, right. you know, four times as much work as they did before the pandemic. And what does it feel like to release this debut album in such a tumultuous time it's always a big feat to do something like what you've just done with outside child especially given the content of these songs but just in this frenzy like post me too post george floyd it just feels like a really exposed nerve everybody right now you know i feel all kinds of ways about it one thing that i know in my bones this record would not be getting the reception it has in any other time. You know, I've been writing and collaborating and putting out albums. The first one that I worked on was with a band called Fear of Drinking when I was 18. Oh. And my first little pieces of writing are on a record with that band. And that was in the year 2000. Wow. So it's been 21 years since I've been professionally doing this, which is pretty wild to wrap my head around. It's also like, I was not ready to step into my own story under my own name until very recently. And the work that I did with Our Native Daughters was kind of a big galvanizer for that for me. But also just becoming a mother. I mean, my writer's block began with motherhood because I was overwhelmed at the, really the urgency and the importance of it all that I really understood in a conscious way for the first time after becoming a mother that what we do as artists, our currency is actually empathy. That's actually what we do is empathy work. Whatever mediums we're working in, 
however we view our own art at its heart. Anyone who's making art in order to connect with others, you know, anyone that's making public facing art of any sort, it's empathy work. And it can also be the opposite. You know, it can also contribute to our bigotry problem, our human bigotry problem. And, you know, I think about this with words. Words are incredibly potent. They are spells, they are magic, but they can also kill. I don't think anything less true has ever been said than sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's a bunch of bullshit because words kill people every day, you know? So misinformation, I mean, misinformation is killing people right now in our county, in our state, in our country, globally, you know, it's literally, yes, literally killing people, you know, filling up our ICU beds and killing people. And that's, those are real people with real families and children that they're leaving behind. And, you know, it's devastating. Right. It's devastating what's going on right now. And it's funny, we've been, we've been doing a lot of processing around this because of course it's from our perspective, I don't have a mistrust of the science. I don't have a mistrust of the global scientific community. Not to say that there have not been abuses. Obviously there have, as a black woman, I know about abuses in medicine and the way black women and indigenous women and other women of color have been treated as guinea pigs all along the way. I have no rose tinted spectacles, but I do have trust in our modern scientific global community and the unprecedented level of sharing of information that's gone on, like the miracle of being able to get the vaccines as soon as we have which was based on all kinds of incredible bravery along the way from the Wuhan scientists who against their government's wishes got the genome of the virus out because they knew how important it was. They're heroes. They faced real consequences for doing the right thing. I mean, it's an unprecedented level of collaboration across border lines, across belief lines, across any kind of line of cooperation and collaboration to come up with these vaccines, you know, and that to me is like, uh, that sh- there should be a movie made about it. It's like, so that people understand that there's heroism there too. You know, heroes aren't just like Spider-Man. Those scientists are heroes. <laughs> these frontline workers are heroes, you know? Absolutely. They're doing unbelievable life-saving work. That's such a good perspective to have that some crisis like this actually forced in a time where rhetoric was so polarized and people were just simply not treating each other with compassion. If you disagreed in the slightest that there was this extreme effort to band together among all these different scientists and researchers and different nations to help us. I mean, it's kind of ironic that that's overlooked because the negativity always seems to get the most attention and eyes and ears and people really did work together. Conspiracy theories are clickbait, you know, and the truth isn't. And so it's really tough. And, and then that has, you know, folks get brainwashed by these conspiracy theories. And then instead of repudiating the theory, people start to demonize people, right? And we can't demonize each other. We really can't no matter how vehemently we disagree, because then there's just no, there's no sunny path forward. It's the eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. You know, I think about this as a parent, I'm constantly like golden rule, Ida, spell of a well, if you disagree, you know, her dad invented this. It's the spell of a well, if someone's being really crappy to you at school or you're, you do not what have to hit back. 
You do not have to you. And that's it. Just like, oh, well, we're going to have to disagree. Oh, oh, well. like, okay. You gotcha. say that, but it's not true. It's yeah, the spell of, oh, well, like it's not true. You can say all kinds of horrible things about me, but I know they're not true. So I don't have to get worked up about it. You know, so we, that. that's one of the things, you know, she's seven and she's fiery and she's has a strong sense of justice and she gets really mad if, you know, there's an unfairness which has unfolded. I'm like, the, the, you are going to be constantly running into unfairnesses and you're going to have to pick your battles. Like, which ones do you really want to like battle about? And also, how do you battle? Do you want to just have perpetual war or do you want to actually find some sort of common ground and resolution, you know, and, and I'm talking about this to my seven-year-old. And of course it's like little schoolyard things, but it, that extrapolates to grownups. And I watch parents behaving worse than oh my second God. graders. And I think, okay, let the children lead the way. Guess what? All those kids are at school with their masks on and they are not complaining. They are thrilled to be at school to be with their friends after all this isolation and stuff, to be with their teachers. My daughter was like, when, when Miss Brown gives me praise, it's like the sun came out from behind clouds. Like she's thrilled to have her teacher again and not just be stuck with mom and dad <laughs> trying to do it, you know, and failing, you know, just sucking at it. You know, she's, she now, I mean, that's one thing I think about is she will never take going to school for granted again. I don't think, you know, she's that's so beautiful. Thrilled to be back there. Thrilled. Watch out for Ida. You know? I can't wait to see what She's she divorced. does. I want to know her. <laughs> and I'm sure, that, you I'm sure you will. <laughs> well, you and your partner, your husband are both artists and you essentially yeah. had this artist commune in Madison with your sister and Yola. And yeah. it sounds like she was another one at the table, just probably offering up all this wisdom and poetry, even from her younger very perspective. Much. She sounds very, very, very much incredible. And you're, you are teaching her well, obviously all these, these philosophies that you're sharing with her, she's applying. Yeah. We're trying to teach her, but honestly, I feel like we learn more from our children than we'll ever be able to teach them. I've thought this for some time. I thought it before right. I became a mother because I've done a lot of caregiving for other people's children. And I've thought this for a long time and even more now with my own. Adia Victoria's song, South Gotta Change, there's one line where she said, if you're tired of marching, let the children lead the way, you know? And like, that is it to me. When I was writing down just lyrics that stood out to me from Adia, that was one of them. I mean, it's like our chances now, but this is something that we're eventually going to have to hand over and eat our own humble pie about because how many chances are we going to get to screw this up? You talk about how you've been doing this for so long, yet you were just nominated as the Emerging Artist for the Americana Honors and Music Awards. But I've heard you say in interviews that this record was a compulsion. And yeah. while it does feel really jagged right now and intense, I think that there are 
people like you who can find moments like this as catalysts to create something beautiful and your wonderful storied career was punctuated by how difficult this time is right now. And also we were forced to stop. Mm-hmm. And I definitely was, my partner JT Nero and I, we were definitely on a kind of a hamster wheel of subsistence, working poor touring. There's just no question that we were. Yeah. And, you know, we got pregnant a year into starting the Birds of Chicago band together. And we had been together for seven years and, you know, we just went for it. But it was also... You know, people be like, oh, that's so amazing. You're bringing your child on the road. And like, yeah, it's necessity. <laughs> like, right. we have no yeah. plan B, you know, like this is, this is our plan. This is the whole plan, you know? And so we just had to, and she grew up on the road and there were gifts to that, but it was also just survival mode all the time. And when you're in yeah. survival mode, you can't strategize really. You can't mm-hmm. form conscious coalition. Even things just sort of happen because you're, in the frenzy of survival, you know, right. and we were in that for a long time. And it wasn't until the lockdown that we were forced to stop and take stock and actually make a plan with some forethought and strategy behind it, you know, right. when we accepted that the gigs were gone for at least a year, that we could not be relying on touring alone, you know, Mm -hmm. to be our sustenance and our family sustenance and our daughter's sustenance. That's when we really just started focusing on trying to build coalition, find community and find representation and a team for us as writers, you know? Right. And I fell back on just once again, I mean, I, I have a pattern in my life of processing trauma through writing and it was the same for me with the pandemic. I just couldn't stop writing. And that was the only thing that I had control over was, well, I can write every day, you know, and I can reach out to people whose work resonates for me and, you know, who are further along a kind of intentional career path that I want to follow in, you know, folks like Brandy Carlisle, who I just adore and I adore her wife and I adore the work that they're doing with the Looking Out Foundation. And I didn't know her particularly well at the beginning of the pandemic. We had run into each other at a few, you know, our families had kind of been ships in the night at a few festivals in Canada and on the KMO cruise a few years back when our daughters were really tiny. Evangeline, I think, was six months and Ida was a year the first time we met on that KMO cruise. But I just decided I had this intuition. I mean, that's the other thing. When you can't hear your own intuition, when you're caught up in all of the noise and subsistence touring and survival mode. Like you can't even hear your own intuition. And when I was forced to stop and sit in silence and contemplate a lot of things and process a lot of things, I started to be able to hear my own internal intuition again. And I had just this compulsion to reach out to Brandy specifically. And we ended up connecting really deeply over the pandemic. And she's the reason that I met my wonderful label. You know, she Right. Called Margie Chesky at Fantasy Records and was like, you've got to listen to this album. I really think you guys are going to get each other. She was right. Her intuition was right to connect us, you know, because for whatever reason, I had a real connection. That relationship just seems so 
beautiful and authentic in that wonderful New York Times article written about you. She's quoted as saying, I didn't get Allison a record deal. Allison got Allison a record deal. So she was a wonderful conduit to this relationship that you have with fantasy records. Yeah. But I am very wary of anyone who doesn't attribute some of their success to luck. And there's not a single person who's receiving accolades who didn't get some kind of boost, but that's not luck. I mean, that was you reaching out to her based on instincts, based on what you were able to mine from that quiet time and have belief in yourself, conviction in this beautiful body of work that you just put together. And it's really cool to see someone like you who has historically throughout your career banded together with women in such a successful meaningful way with our native daughters with Rhiannon and Layla with Amethyst and Yola you living with Yola and being able to share these ideas I read you know your song Persephone what you talk about with that part of your story Britney Spencer and Brandy helping you remake Nightflyer and even one of your relatives Janet Lillian Russell and my grandmother I wouldn't have survived my childhood without my maternal grandmother. My great grandmother was a magic weaver. Came across the water and caught the fever. Wondered if her mother could hear her when she sang the words she learned to say. In the blue commanding shop, shimmering still. Dame Kaluna, low lady of the hill. Cup of cold sun and a winter pill Send me back on my way Seven black rabbits of high Brazil Twenty-one petals of daffodils Thirteen load of the black hair trip I'll fly home today Down in the cradle You know, my childhood is well documented. It was very abusive. And I would not have survived it, I don't think, without my grandmother. And my grandmother taught me all these songs, these oral tradition songs from Scotland. And I understood wow. immediately, those are women's songs. That's women's work, knowledge, wisdom, roadmaps, signifying code. This is how you get out. This is what to watch out for. Here's the Underground Railroad. I call it the hidden canon, those songs that get distilled through generations and handed down and it's really powerful. And as soon as I understood that, they became like shields to me almost, you know? I really went deep into, I mean, that was all I knew. I grew up with foster care for several years, but then my my mother and my maternal side, who were all Scottish. And so that's what I knew of my sort of family lineage and culture was just the Scottish side. For the longest time, I didn't meet my Grenadian family, my Black family, until I was 30 years old. Wow. And it's such a powerful thing now to have both sides and also to be able to see the deep points of resonance and connection and very close similarity with the kind of hidden canon and women's traditions of the Black diaspora, specifically Grenada in my case is what I have the most knowledge of. But it's really fascinating because that's the same well. Do you think having a perspective 
that is as unique as yours, not having met your black family until you were 30. There's all these things that society kind of puts on us as like, what's your identity? And you have a very beautifully gray area with that. Do you think that was something that made you feel compelled to really kind of explore your culture and put that in your music? Because you're very generous with other people's stories who have come before you, people who are part of your lineage, people who are just like an observant song that you're writing about someone else because they pique your interest. Like, do you think that that was something that kind of made you search and observe others so deeply? Yes. And I think it's something that, you know, when I was a child felt like a curse, it felt like, and that's part of the name of the record of outside child. It felt like I was always outside of every magic circle. There was no easy us for me to belong to. Nobody, nobody, nobody was like, you're ours. It was like, you're pretty weird. (laughs) As a kid, you just want to be accepted, you know, but I've come to understand that there was a blessing inside of that curse, which was that it forced me very, very early on to understand that those were all false constructs, those notions of even of race. Like, what does that even mean? My parents weren't different species. They were both human, you know? (laughs) It really helps to replace the word race with the word species to realize how absurd it is. Like you would never in a million years say the white species or the black species or the Asian species, like you would never, or the indigenous species, like you, you just wouldn't say that because it's palpably false. Like clearly we are all humans. We are all homo sapien. <laughs> like, so yes, ethnicities, absolutely different histories, different genealogies and things. But if you go far enough back, we are obviously all family. It made me understand that we are in fact all connected and that these notions of separation that we try, these moats that we try to build, walls and moats, they they are false constructs and they don't serve us at all. The first time I ever saw you I didn't get to actually talk to you but it was at Newport Folk Fest that was the night that you curated the oh my famous gosh. Sunday night set <laughs> and I just yes, was like I was Allison in a state like I'm glad I looked calm <laughs> you looked like you were like floating as you were walking around it was Shaka Khan, y'all. Yes. It was insane. <laughs> it was absolute madness. And it was so beautiful. All of the women involved in that set, Caroline Randall Williams wrote these beautiful interstitial poems, specifically spoken word pieces, specifically for the set. Yasmin Williams, Joy Oladakin, Sunny War, Cam Franklin, Amethyst Kia, Adia Victoria. It was everybody collaborating. You know, it was Jay Sweet and the Newport Folk Festivals Foundation, you know, who gave me that opportunity to begin with, which I'm so grateful for. But it was a coalition. It was very, very, very much a coalition with all these amazing, amazing. Margot Price sat in, Brandy Carlisle sat in, you know, as our incredible allies. And, but I was definitely centering, you know, BIPOC and Black women was, it was really important for me to do that. And at that festival that was really started off of, you know, Odetta, it was built around Odetta. 
And of course, we lost George Wien this year too, but he was such a visionary and such an anti-bigotry worker from the beginning, you know, and as was his wife, you know, his gorgeous black wife who passed on before he did, but they're, you know, they're together again in whatever way that, that works. And yeah, just, I feel so grateful for that entire experience, but it was all of these brilliant, brilliant women just uplifting everything. And all I was, was the connector. I had the vision of, we just all need to be together and it's going to be joyful. And it was so healing after the last 20 months of separation. I mean, all of these women are just brilliant. And that's what it was. I mean, and that's what throughout the, I called it Once in Future Sounds, Roots and Revolution. And I wrote this kind of little poem. We are more than seeds, we're the soil and the water, the good ancestors. Once in Future Sounds, branches, roots, revolution, it's our time to rise, you know? And it just felt like that. It felt like this gorgeous loving and coalition of the loving and the willing and these beautiful allies who made that happen, like Jay Sweet, you know, and like Brandy and Margot who helped all along the way and are constantly uplifting other artists who maybe weren't getting the same kind of megaphone and platform right away. I keep thinking about this, that our entire industry tries to pit women against each other from this false construct of scarcity right? This idea that there's a, a very limited amount of interest for any woman artist. I mean, certainly that's that kind of false ideology has infected like the country music industry. And that was part of what I wanted to show in an inviting, inclusive, come with us way, not where people felt alienated or shamed or anything, but just like, these are the nice things we can have when you let us in. <laughs> Don't be scared. You're not going to lose anything. It's going to enrich everything, I promise. You know, and to see Newport dancing, like jumping up and down and singing along to I'm Every Woman and Ain't Nobody, those were as much folk canon as Goodnight Irene that night. You know, it was like everybody knew every word, everybody was dancing. To me, the notion of folk music is just everything is folk music, everything is America. You know, it's like, communal music, music we make to share in community and to be with each other and to reinforce those ties within a community and those connections. And that's exactly what Chaka knocked it out of the park that way, you know, we to end that way. We all knew every word and she was so generous with all of us in rehearsal and with all of us at the show, you know, just so generous. It was my first Newport Folk Fest. I felt like the new kid in class. And then you eviscerated those feelings for me and so many people by facilitating what you did. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It I was like, oh, so no happy. one's too cool for school. I don't know what idea or preconception I had in my mind just because it is the Newport Folk Fest. But everyone was like, 
know, Devin Gilfillian invited me back on Sunday. So luckily I was able to be there. My set was on Friday and then I was on stage with Nathaniel. I'm Reitlip so sorry. I missed your set, shit. Maggie. I'm so sorry. Well, it I was Friday. Set. I heard that it was amazing. And it was I uh, heard lots of beautiful talk about it. The last show of the day, because the weather decided to come down on us, but so happy I could have witnessed that and feel part of that family and just the embrace that you extended to everybody. Hey there, guys. It's your friend Maggie, and I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Allison Russell, who is just an outstanding, wonderful human being, musician. And I'm coming to you right now from St. Louis Airport. I was headed to D.C. for a show on my way back from Sacramento, and it turns out that my journey will be stalled in St. Louis this evening, but I'm trying to channel the serenity of Allie Russell. And I'm so happy that our conversation is swirling around in my head right now because she really does possess a grace that not many people do. And she had a huge night on Sunday night, which for me right now is last night at the Grammys, where she was nominated for three huge awards, two of them for her song Night Flyer and one for Best Americana Album for Outside Child, of course. And although she did not win those Grammys this time, coming up in our conversation, you're going to hear from her exactly why she's making music. And although those are great honors to be given, she seeks validation from a different source. And I think that's from within. And I just love that. I, I want to be more like Allie Russell. And I think that maybe after hearing this conversation, we can all join her in her mission to be good ancestors. So once again, congratulations to you, Allie. And I feel so lucky to call her a friend. Here we are, Allison Russell. You know, I had this record I had made outside child. We'd made it and I didn't know what to do with it. We are like, well, we need to find a home for the record. So those plans have, they are bearing fruit now. We've met our amazing manager, Carissa Stolting, through Abigail Washburn, who is a dear, dear friend for many years. And Carissa manages Abby. She manages Layla as well. Mm -hmm. And we connected through Abby and Layla and just, you know, fell in love with her and she with us. And it was a slow courtship where, because I, and I respect this so much, where she had just started working with Layla. And she just said at the beginning, you know, I don't know that I can take on another client yet. I need to see, make sure I'm not overextending and that I can do everything I need to do for the artists that I'm currently working with, which I respect so much, so much, like always. Yes. And always be honest, right? Always be, because you don't, it doesn't help you to work with someone who doesn't have time for you and it doesn't help them. And so it was a slow growth thing. And then of course, because of the pandemic, she had more time. And we actually reached back and said, you know, we understand you may not be ready to take us on as clients full time, but would you help us shop this record? Cause we kind of need help. And that's actually how it started, which was like, of course, that makes sense. I do have time for that because of, because all the gigs, of course, were canceled. And so the, the busynesses, the big tours that she was going to be sort of masterminding, you know, for Layla and Abby obviously didn't happen in 2020. So she had time free up. And over the course of working together on finding the right label family for Outside Child, we just all sort of 
fell in love with one another as coworkers. And then there were things that also, you know, it's what's so lovely is Layla and Abby and I are also close too. So there are ways that we can help each other. Like something comes up and, oh, wait, maybe this isn't for me, but it's for Layla. Or maybe this, you know, and that sort of, it's a beautiful thing. Exactly. And that is the other problem with the divide and conquer fallacy, the scarcity fallacy. You were in direct competition with every other woman fallacy. And especially if you're a Black woman, we really only want one of you ever on anything. Those are false constructs and we can get around them take them apart, shoot holes, <laughs> show in them. How, <laughs> shoot holes in them, like which the Once in Future sound set was me saying, that not only is that not true, this is how awesome it is when you invite more than one of us to the party, okay? Like this is how awesome it is when you invite a bunch of us to the party. We're all totally different. You can hear that because we're each gonna play a song one after the other. You can hear that we are totally different. And that was it, you know, strategizing, sharing information. I think of things like the Masons, you know, what is that except those kinds of men's, those ancient men's social clubs and sort of like power clubs in a sense of like consolidating power and sharing information and, and knowledge that people outside of the club don't have and this sort of thing. All that that is, is just a group of guys who are like, well, let's help each other out to get ahead, you know, and women for millennia have been encouraged not to do that because it turns out when you do that inspiring they're you witches. share knowledge <laughs> yeah. right. and you get ahead and you figure right. out how to do things yeah. in a smarter more strategic way that uplifts everybody more and this is good <laughs> you know this is like the number of hours that yola and i spent at the kitchen table just unpacking traumatic experiences of the past but also like strategizing like how do we change this how do we change this moving forward? What do we do? One of the things Yola does consistently, continually as her platform has grown and she gets asked to play a festival, if she sees that lineup and there are barely any women and there are no other people of color, she's like, well, I'll come play, but you got to hire at least three or four other women and black women. Otherwise I can't, you know, because other than I'm just a token, I don't want to be a token. And she now has the power to change someone's mind, you know, <laughs> they're like, oh, Right. I didn't even notice that you were the, you know, they didn't notice because they can only see from where they stand. And she notices and she does. And Brandy does the same thing behind the scenes. And, you know, even who they choose to take out on tour, who they choose to talk to promoters about, you know, all of those things. It's like we are all doing that for each other all the time. And everybody has a There's spirit bravery in that, though. And just the bravery of a few is able to make such a significant change imagine if we all just collectively decided that these are standards that must be met and we're not going to tolerate this kind of inequity anymore and say it with a smile and with a smile you, know. you can say it with, and yola says it, she makes everybody laugh you know she's so funny she makes everyone laugh and then before they know it they're doing all sorts of wonderfully to her will <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly and it's beautiful and then they're happier for it so it's fine yeah it's fine it's fine it all works out and so we started working with carissa and i was following my intuition and also receiving these boosts and gifts from folks like fiona prime you know i remember chris and i this was in april of 2020 and we were shopping the record around and we had a few negative experiences in the beginning and that was the other thing having self 
value and boundaries. And I had some offers that were frankly really insulting. And I'm very glad that Carissa and JT and I had reached the point where we weren't just going to take the first thing because we thought we didn't deserve any better. And that is also a hard one, right? That's from, I've, I've done it the wrong way many times, many, 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 many times, and I'll continue to make mistakes, I'm sure. But I had a sense of protectiveness around this record and this body of work, that it had to be someone who got it, who saw it, who heard it. And if they didn't, then it wasn't going to work. Because what's happening for my record right now is honestly more of a reflection of my team than it is of the content of the record. Because there are, as you know, Maggie, so many brilliant, amazing records that never get this kind of platform. And that's not from lack of merit in the art. It's because whatever team around the art had not coalesced enough to get it out. Amethyst and Yola and I are all, and Margot, are all kind of in the same family of labels, you know, which has been really lovely. And actually, and this is, you know, stuff that people might not think about, but all of our managers were talking and making sure that we were staggering releases so that we weren't accidentally blocking each other's opportunities. And this is what it goes back, again, communication and understanding that it's not a competition, it's a community. And when we approach it that way, everybody thrives instead of there's one opportunity and only one of you can get it. We all debuted at the Opry. Yola went first back in 2019. And I will say, I have to give a huge shout out to Ayapa Bedanda, who works at Concord. And he specifically kind of does the grassroots promotional stuff. So he's the one who will approach the folks at the Opry and say, here are these up and coming artists. I really think you've got to hear them. Can we get them a debut? Can we do that? I mean, that's Ayapa working just nonstop. He got it for Amethyst. He got it for me. That's what I mean by how important my team is on this. My chosen extended label family, my publicist, Meg Helsell. She is brilliant and she is tireless and she is constantly looking for opportunities to uplift this record because she believes in it. And she goes above and beyond anything we've ever paid her. And that's stuff that people don't really think about. If you're not in the industry, you wouldn't necessarily know that. But how important those elements are and why the records that you've heard of, why you've heard of them, you know? Right. And, like, yeah. and that's things I just didn't understand for years. I was so kind of feral and kind of DIY for years and years and years, you know, just the DIY grassroots. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I learned a lot doing that. But honestly, everything that's happening for me now is because I started changing my perspective and understanding and respecting the creative work that happens on the other side of the curtain. You know, we're the forward facing, but there are all these creative workers. Your publicist is a creative worker. The head of your label is a creative worker. Everyone that works 
in your distribution are creative workers. Like they're all doing incredibly important creative work and it's not as glamorous. They don't get the outward facing attention, but they are so important to anything that ever happens for any record, you know, or doesn't happen. Think of all of the This is part of the problem, I think, for me, Maggie, this, particularly in music world now, dance world too, for that matter, the notion of that it's always a competition, you know, music as blood sport, like those shows, those wildly popular shows that I cannot watch because they destroy my they spirit. They give me anxiety. Like, oh my, like, I know there's the theater of it. I know it's entertainment. I know many people enjoy it and are invested in it. I get that. But for me, it's the antithesis of what I love about music, you know, which is it's about the communion and not the competition. This notion of comparing apples and oranges and deciding that apples are better today, oranges that you can't compare to artists. You know, it's even award shows are something that it took me a long time to get to a good place with because I used to make the mistake of seeing the theater of the surface level competition and thinking that's what it was about. When in fact, that's not at all what it's about. Once again, it is about forming an intentional community. That's what any a music association is. It's forming an intentional community of folks who value art at its heart, at its base. Like that's what it is. And yes, there can be negative aspects of that that come in. There can be sort of a twisting of that or a misunderstanding of it. But at its heart, that's what it is. And that's why, you know, for things like Americana Fest, I remember I did a I can't remember who I did the interview with, but someone said something to the effect of, oh, you're up against your sister, you know, in the same category, because beautifully the new, the emerging artist category was, you know, was an unprecedented, it was Joy Oladikin, Amethyst Kia, me, Waxahachi and Charlie Crockett, who were nominated in that category. And I was, I shut that person down immediately. I was like, I'm not in competition with my sister. I'm so thrilled and honored to be named alongside her, alongside Joy. The fact that they even nominated three queer Black women in one category is unprecedented. That's unprecedented. a victory. And not, not that that's what it's about. Like we, It's about the art. But there has been an intense lack of representation for so many years that that is a joyful thing. And it is remarkable simply because we were not within their field of vision for a long time. And the fact that we are now, to me, shows such wonderful progress and growth. I give huge props to the Americana Music Association for really self-examining and learning and growing, you know, and making an effort to do so. It's a really healing, beautiful thing. And of course, there's a long way to go. Everything's a work in progress. You know, we all are. That's so beautifully said. I mean, you certainly inspire me. And I was going to ask about these upcoming Recording Academy nominations. You know, you're definitely one of the contenders for Best Americana Album that people are talking about, but your perspective is so healthy and you're really genuinely celebrating your fellow artist that it doesn't seem like a deterrent if you don't win. It doesn't seem like a motivator for you to create art. It shouldn't be that way. 
I think oftentimes, especially in our culture, we seek validation through those kinds of accolades or through social media. And it just seems like the art is within you. The music is in you, regardless of what context is surrounding you. And that's really important for me to hear and for other people in any effort need to hear that it has to be something that is a vocation regardless of what the world looks like around you because that's how we can help make it more beautiful it's the only way in which we can do it exactly and fighting your community and really understanding that that's our wealth that really is our wealth and that's why i love now that i have the better understanding of what even these industry organizations are that it's an intentional community and then you can set about if there are things within your community that you know you feel upset about or you think isn't happening the right way then you can do something about it you can run for the board of the americana association or the country music association and start making changes right if you're just despondent you're like nothing will ever change or you become complacent i think that that's actually more insidious than anything and I don't think we need to apply that algorithm that we have on social media where people have a propensity to focus on the bad news. We don't need to bring that into our real lives either by pinning each other against one another or, oh, you must have been so pissed so-and-so won. It's like, no, that's not. Not at all. Let's yeah, look at the not joy at all. in this. Exactly. And I think you're right. It's so insidious. I was talking to you. I have a friend who's like, an evolutionary biologist, and they talk about negativity bias, where that was a survival thing in our early, you know, I don't know, running from a saber-toothed tiger or something. But now it's not helping us. You know, now we have to shift things a little bit. And it is so insidious and it's so hard. I mean, that's one of my personal rules for myself early on with social media. And I'm kind of a Luddite, you know, and I'm like the ancient millennial so it's like, I was really, re I really reluctantly came into the social media age. Like I held out for a while. I had a flip phone until like, I don't know, 2013, you know, like I held out for a really long time and before I, you know, accepted modern technology. But one of my rules for myself was I'm going to do the golden rule. I'm going to do my grandma's golden rule, like treat people or say things that you would want said to you, you know, don't name call, don't talk shit, don't talk, and none of it. I just don't do it. And it's so easy to fall into. And it's so, and it's rewarded. Of course, like you're saying something funny and mean in a tweet, of course it gets like a thousand retweets and all of that. But that is not what I want to amplify in the world. Like I'm a mom now. I want to be a good ancestor. I want to be a good example for my kid as well. Like I'm just not going to do stuff that I would be ashamed to say in front of my daughter, you know? So, I mean, that's like a basic litmus for me. If I would be pissed at my kid for saying it, then I can't say it on social media. You know, it's like, I could, you could, that's what your friends are for. You call each other and you bitch, you know, like that's, you don't have to do it on social media. You are so wise. You are such a badass. I am a true admirer of you and what you do and what you're about and stand for. And I'm so appreciative that you were, on the podcast with me today and you took the time to just go to all these places with me. It was healing for me in a tremendous way. It's and I'm so excited pleasure. to see what 
continues to happen with outside child, everyone needs to go take a moment to really dig into this record if you haven't yet, because it's just absolutely brave and poetic and triumphant. And there's joy in it too. And it's sonically very versatile. You and Dan Nobler did a tremendous job on it. And I think it's just the beginning. It was such a gift. So thank you for sharing it with us. And I usually end these podcasts by asking my guests what they perceive to be an advantage of being a woman in the industry is, but you've already answered it in like a myriad number of ways <laughs> and you live it and breathe it. The sisterhood is strong. That's it what I'll really say. Is. The sisterhood is strong. Yeah. Yes. And I'm just so inspired by everybody needs to go listen to Amethyst's record, Wearing Strange, Adia's new record. A Southern Gothic Southern is Gothic. so beautiful. It's just amazing. And I mean, there's just so much great music out there right now. I find that actually really, ex- we're, I feel like we're in this Renaissance time and there are so many women artists just exploding right now with creativity and gifting us with incredible art. And I'm really excited about that. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Allison Russell. Make sure to give her a follow at Allison Russell Music on all of her socials. Thank you so much for listening. I'm thrilled to be back with season three, and I have some incredible guests and incredible conversations to share with you. So once again, thanks for supporting Salute the Songbird. Thanks for supporting me. If you want to come out and see me on the road, all my tour dates are listed at maggierosemusic.com. And you can follow me on all my socials at I am Maggie Rose. And for exclusive content, join my With the Band group. It's a very cool community where I get to share some live stream concerts with them and just special stuff. It's just for people who are part of the With the Band crew. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media, hosted by Maggie Rose. Produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, and Kirsten Cluthy, with production assistance from Grace Romer and Catherine Baggett. Edited by Justin Thomas of Revoice Media. Music by Maggie Rose. Show logo by Premier Music Group. Graphics by Catherine Boyles and Mark Dowd. Thanks for listening, and here's Night Flyer by Allison Russell.